Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Jeff, and along with Brian, we are the hosts of this program. Hello and welcome to the Bible Questions podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We compliment you on your interest in spiritual matters. You have Brian and Jeff along, and Jeff, today's subject is one of those where we're going to be talking about forgiveness, and it's one of those subjects where it can be very difficult depending on what the circumstance may be, but yet it's a very important principle that we need to learn from the scriptures. Right, and certainly from a a website perspective, we get lots of questions related to forgiveness, related to sin, kind of related to salvation, etc. And there's all different kinds of teachings, a lot of them false, in circulation amongst, you know, self-proclaimed Christians. So yeah, it's going to be an interesting study today. Yeah, so what we thought we would do is share some questions that have been submitted to our website at biblequestions.org about forgiveness. And as Jeff mentioned, get lots of these. So we just picked out some that we feel are either common or unique enough that it might be of interest to you. And so what we'll do is we'll take turns asking and answering these questions. And then we're going to reference, you know, additional scriptures and study material. Because this is such a broad subject and there are many passages, uh, I would encourage you to take notes and just take a look at it. Also, Jeff and I had a podcast on forgiveness, and that was episode 33, if you want to go back and listen to that, where we really kind of did a deep dive, if you will, into what the Bible teaches about forgiveness. So, Jeff, before we get started, any other thoughts? No, let's get into it. Okay, so the first question for you comes from somebody anonymously, and they asked, are there sins I cannot be forgiven of, such as a sin against the Holy Spirit, or sins that I continue to commit? Very interesting. Yeah, it is. And definitely kind of, uh, although they're tied together in terms of uh, not being forgiven of, two very different ones. So let's start off with sins against the Holy Spirit. Some people have heard of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Uh, they may not know where it comes from in terms of the Bible, but one place is Matthew chapter 12, uh, verses 31 and 32, where Jesus speaking says, Therefore I say to you, Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Now, if you look at the context of that passage, contextually, Jesus was performing miracles you know, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And some of the Jews in the audience basically accused Jesus. Yes, they acknowledged he was performing miracles, but said that he was doing it through the power of Satan, through the power of Beelzebub. Basically saying that, yes, he had miracle working ability, but those miracles were satanic. And then, of course, within that context, if you, in essence, were to observe Jesus or read about Jesus performing miracles, and you go, ah, yeah, but he's demon-possessed. Well, that kind of a person, that kind of an attitude, that kind of a hard heart kind of perspective, yeah, you're not going to be forgiven. Because in essence, you will not repent. You know, it's one of those situations where even when confronted with direct physical evidence, you know, you turn a blind eye, you dismiss it, etc. What else can you? What else could you appeal to? So, in in a practical sense, you know, you can't be 
forgiven of blasphemy, so to speak, against the Holy Spirit when you ascribe Jesus's miracle working abilities to demonic possession to Satan. That's kind of a pretty limited kind of uh, situation. The second half of his question, you know, sins that I continue to commit. Well, first of all, we need to recognize a general principle that any sin is forgivable so long as the person complies with what God requires them to do in order to be forgiven. For instance, you know, people who have no regard for God, no regard for the gospel, live their lives along the lines as described in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, cannot be forgiven. Even though Jesus on the cross died for the sins of all humanity, all people, all time, still, these people who live their lives for themselves cannot be forgiven. People who are so hardened, like we just described a few moments ago, that they ascribe the miracles of Jesus to the power of Satan, cannot be forgiven. People who initially became Christians, according to the New Testament pattern, and were forgiven of their sins, yet afterwards, if they persist in willful sin, cannot be forgiven. You can read about that in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, and likewise Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 through 31. And when I say persist in willful sin, I'm referring more to the person who continues in a sinful lifestyle, disregarding what God says about it. Certainly, there are sins that are kind of besetting or deeply embedded in our lives that it's going to take a, a while and a lot of effort to slowly weed out, so to speak. And from time to time, they may succumb back to those temptations. I'm thinking like you know, alcoholism, as an example, or drug abuse, etc. And they may relapse. But yet, the question is, what do they do? Do they keep on going in that direction, or do they pick themselves back up with God's help, etc., and repent and try to keep doing what's right? You know, those situations, of course, they would be forgiven. The other thing I might mention, uh, sins that cannot be forgiven, could be, in some cases, uh, related to suicide, where, you know, the person may not be may not have time to, you know, repent of the act, maybe in a certain, you know, mental state that they're not really accountable for, for what they're doing to themselves, etc. So that could be, you know, another case of sins that might not be forgiven of. Brian, any thoughts before we uh, go to the next question? Uh, just one, you know, I do appreciate the part of the question that asked about, you know, sins that we continue to commit. You know, I feel like all of us would probably agree you know, as Christians, it's disgusting to us to commit a sin that we know better. So like if we have a problem with anger, let's say, and we're working on it and we're working on it and then we lose our temper, you know, we can wonder, well, God, forgive me. I keep having this struggle. And I like how you focused on really it's your attitude. God knows if you're really trying to get that out of your life and you just stumble now and then versus well, I can just do it and then I'll just ask God to forgive. Very different attitudes right there. So anyhow, some good thoughts. Exactly. Okay. So moving on to the next question for you. This comes from Mike. And so he writes in, I need help in understanding forgiveness and forgotten. I sinned against a person and prayed to God for forgiveness and asked the person for forgiveness. They say they've forgiven me, but have not forgotten. And they keep bringing up my wrong or my sin. 
I have always understood it as Christ paid for our sins once and for all on the cross. Does God forgive and forget or only forgive? If a person asked me for forgiveness and I don't forget as well, is it a sin? Interesting. Yes, it is, because it does illustrate a challenge of forgetting when somebody commits a sin against us. It can be very difficult, especially it's a very serious sin. So I like the question because it helps us to think about, well, what does God do? And therefore, what should I do? So, you know, some of the fundamental principles that we see that Jesus taught his disciples are that if we sin against someone and they repent of our sin and ask for forgiveness, they are to forgive us. So for instance, he said in Luke chapter 17 and verse 3, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. So that one's pretty straightforward. He also taught that if we refuse to forgive, then God will not forgive us. So he said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 15, but if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So in addition to these two passages and two principles that Jesus articulated here, we are also taught that just as the Lord no longer remembers our sins, Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 12, to answer the other part of his question about does God forget our sins, here God says, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. And so the context there in Hebrews chapter 8 is talking about this new covenant that God promised his people that would be brought into existence through the death of Jesus on the cross. So the law of Christ, the the covenant that we live under today. Well, under this covenant, God said, I will not remember their sins any longer. And the reason that statement's important is because under the old law, there was no way for that sin to be forgiven. In fact, there had to be a reminder of sins every year. And so one of the biggest, you might say, benefits certainly blessings under the law of Christ is that God is willing to not only forgive, but to forget. So going back to what our responsibilities are, well, just like if we won't forgive others, God will not forgive us. We have the same responsibilities here. Because God forgets sins, then we can no longer hold it against them. So, you know, the person who continues to bring up Mike's sin is not following this biblical principle. So as we've touched on, if they've truly forgiven you, then it's not right to continue to bring up the sin. You know, they need to put it in the past or forget what Mike had done because he repented of it. Now, as we mentioned, you know, depending on the severity of the sin, that can be really difficult to forget, but that doesn't mean they should keep reminding you of it because it may indicate that they didn't really forgive you. So, yes, you would also, he asked, would he be sinning if he refused to forgive someone? Yes, as has been established by Jesus, right? You would be sinning if you refuse to forgive someone. And then the last part here, you know, as for his statement, you know, Jesus paid for our sins once and for all on the cross. It's important to note that, yes, Jesus was offered as a sacrifice for sin. And that sacrifice was once for all. And so it was no longer to have this annual reminder, those kinds of things. So our sins can be forgiven, but we have a part in that as well. Like 1 John 1, 9 talks about if we confess our sins, he will forgive us. So we have to be willing to do that. And if we've never been baptized, well, Acts 2.38 says not only should we repent of those sins, but we need to be baptized to be forgiven. So we're held accountable for our own sin. And we have passages like 2 Corinthians 5.10 that tells us that we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So, 
you know, we were talking about Hebrews chapter 8 earlier. I'll just give one other passage, and that's in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 8 through 12. And I would encourage if our listeners, if you haven't read that section, you know, 8 through 10 there, it's really a great explanation as to why we moved from the old covenant to the new, what Jesus' sacrifice did, those kinds of things. And it says in verses 8 through 12 of Hebrews 10 that, you know, the sacrifice that Jesus made was one sacrifice for sins forever. And so that death on the cross, once again, allows us to have those sins forgiven. And it's important to remember that his death didn't unconditionally remove our sins as some other religions might teach. So Jeff, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, good thoughts. And I'm also kind of reminded of people that might say, well, I forgive you, but I'm certainly not going to forget. You know, almost like holding a grudge. Right. Or you know, they're, they're weaponizing this thing. And anytime and every time they, they want to you know, use it over you to you know, beat you up, so to speak. Now, admittedly, I've looked ahead at our next question. And there's an element of this that we also need to add. But I'll, I'll let you ask the question and, and I'll, I'll tie it into the question we just got through answering. Okay, yeah, sounds good. So this question comes from Bobby, and he asks, if someone is caught stealing and being untruthful more than once, what steps must they complete to be placed in a position of trust? He goes on to say, must they admit all their wrongs and go ask for forgiveness from all thefts they committed and quit denying? He has in parentheses, housekeeper. If they are employed, are the employers like the foolish virgins who waste God's gifts because they knowingly place them to be stolen? I know we forgive, but do we restore without worker admission? How long do they have to prove themselves? I don't believe I found your site by accident. Can you give me an answer in scripture to read? So yeah, very multifaceted set of questions there. Oh, exactly. And as we've already indicated, the scriptures teach that you know forgiveness is available through Christ's sacrifice, and certainly from those who have been sinned against that it is conditional. You know, it requires the person to actually repent. You know, that's true with God forgiving people, uh, Acts 2, 38, 1 John 1, 7 through chapter 2, verse 5. But it's also true with us, you know, Luke 17, 3. While we certainly need to have a forgiving spirit and be willing to forgive, we really can't actually forgive the other person without them taking action. Now, in this case, it sounds like, and since he mentioned housekeeper, someone who has stolen from the owner, sounds like repeatedly has not admitted wrongdoing, has not asked for forgiveness, etc. And so in a case like that, you cannot extend forgiveness since they haven't complied with God's requirements in order to be forgiven. But the Brian, the extra aspect of this is, I think, that of proving themselves. I mean, for instance, if you have, let's just say, a preacher who sins, or a Christian who sins, like a member in general, particularly for those in positions, what we might call positions of trust, like a preacher, like an elder, like the treasurer, like etc. Is there a sense in which their sins can be forgiven? Certainly. Is there a sense in which we need to be careful that they need to kind of, quote unquote, prove themselves worthy of trust? I would tend to say yes. 
you know, certainly in the aspect of if a person, and again, you know, preacher, elder, treasurer, Bible class teacher, as an example, being in a position of trust, if being in that position presents a temptation, that they have a particular weakness, that might be a stumbling block. I do not think it would be wise to keep them in that position or to immediately put them back into that position because now you're just putting them back into a situation where they're continuing to be tempted to sin. For example, you know, a church treasurer who has a problem with money, love of money, greed, with embezzling. You know, would you want to immediately put them back into being a treasurer? No. If you had a Bible class teacher who had a weakness for pedophilia, would you want to put them right back into the Bible class with young kids? No. Now, we want to be careful here because, you know, don't, on the one hand, you don't want to hold a grudge. On the other hand, you need to be wise. The Bible certainly does not specify any sort of time period or probationary period, but it does talk about the concept of bringing forth works or fruits consistent with repentance, Matthew 3, verse 8. So, kind of a multifaceted question. Hopefully, I hit on, on the major aspects, including that of Yes, should we forgive? Yes. Should we forget? In most cases, yes, but prudence would indicate there are other cases where we do need to take it into some degree of consideration, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, it definitely does. And it can be difficult, you know, if you have a congregation with elders and they come across somebody that, as you said, is embezzles or, you know, whatever, becomes untrustworthy with children they have some difficult decisions to make because, yes, you want to forgive. And as you pointed out, sure, you'd like to say, yeah, we, we know that you've repented and we do forgive you, but there can be consequences. And those consequences doesn't mean that you didn't forgive them. So anyhow, I appreciate those thoughts. Okay. So you get the next question from Deborah. She writes in, will God forgive me if I get a divorce not related to adultery? Yeah, great question. And certainly one that's relevant for our age. And the Bible teaches us, you know, that God has promised to forgive us if we repent of our sins and are baptized, regardless of the sin, as you pointed out, Jeff, in an earlier question. But it's important to note that when we are forgiven, in the case of adultery, let's say that you divorced your spouse, it wasn't for adultery. Well, Jesus makes it clear in Matthew 19, 9, that we would not be able to remarry if we did, or if, let's say, we were in a marriage that we did not have authorization to have. So for instance, we divorce not for adultery, we remarry because the Bible teaches us, as we said in Matthew 19, 9, that you know, whoever divorces except for the cause of sexual immorality commits adultery, well, then you'd have to dissolve that marriage. And you know, Jeff, in the religious world today, this is like a, a large point of contention because denominations are glad to tell you, oh, no, no, you did so in ignorance, so it's okay for you to be remarried. Or uh, there are circumstances that don't include sexual immorality that would allow you to be divorced. That's not what Jesus said. And so you can be forgiven, but you cannot remain in a sinful marriage. So the scenario that he mentioned, we actually find over in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11, where it says, Now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband, but if, even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. So, you know, that's saying that there could be situations, whether it's domestic abuse, 
There's circumstances where maybe the wife leaves the marriage for her own protection or the children's protection. And in the case of like domestic abuse, it might be easy to say, well, she should be allowed to divorce that man. He's abusing her. No, the Bible says that she can only be reconciled to her husband or remain unmarried. So that's another one, Jeff, that can kind of be tricky, right? Because a woman can depart without divorcing her husband like this. However, if she does divorce him and it's not for adultery, she is not going to be able to remarry. And so it can be something difficult for people to accept. And, you know, generally viewed, I, I like the fact that you're pointing out that sin can certainly be forgiven. Consequences, however, negative consequences, sometimes do follow. I mean, you mentioned, you know, in the, in the case of marriage. And some people want to say, well, you know, I've, I've become a Christian. I've been forgiven. You know, can I keep my spouse? And sometimes we'll draw parallels like, you know, these days you get two guys married and, you know, one of them becomes a Christian. Okay, great. Can I keep my spouse? No. You know, if I'm in an adulterous relationship or homosexual relationship or if it's an incestuous relationship, you know, can I keep my can I keep my spouse? And of course, we would say no. You know, I stole a bunch of stuff. Now, I, then I became a Christian. Can I keep the stuff I stole? Well, no. There, there are consequences, negative consequences to some of our, our behaviors that we have to, you know, acknowledge and in some cases uh, live with. So the sin can be forgiven, but often the consequences cannot be undone. And I think that's an important point to keep in mind as well. Yeah, and, and the key is don't confuse the two, right? <laughs> Understand the difference and uh, absolutely appreciate that. All right, Jeff. So Paul asks, are all my sins past? and future forgiven once I have accepted Christ. I like that future part there. I can't say that I've seen that before. Yeah. Well, and honestly, that's kind of taking the doctrine of once saved, always saved, and expressing it in a slightly different way. You know, because if Christ died on the cross for my sins, and my sins have been forgiven, you know, when I, be, when I became a Christian, and if it's once saved, always saved, then basically all my future sins have likewise already been forgiven, even though I haven't repented of them yet, or may not repent of them yet. But that's okay, because of once saved, always saved, Ugh, it just gets kind of really uh, twisted, so to speak. So I think that the simple answer is past sins, definitely. Future sins, no. Repentance is a requirement even of your future sins, as we've seen in some of the scriptures that we've already quoted so far in this podcast. Now, I might also, and there may be a nuance here, when people talk about accepting Christ, honestly, sometimes I'm not exactly certain what they mean when they say that, but at least in terms of the New Testament pattern, believing in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, John 3.16, Romans 10.10. 10. You know, repenting of sins, Acts 2.38, confessing Jesus as indeed Lord and Savior, Romans 10.10, and finally being immersed in water in order to have the forgiveness of sin, Acts 2.38. If accepting Christ, when they say that, includes all of that, then okay, I, I would agree that yes, indeed, your past sins have indeed been forgiven. And your future sins can be when you're willing to actually Repent. How's that, Brian? Yeah, absolutely. If the conditions are met, right? So if the conditions are met, exactly. 
And that's one of the, the interesting things with, with scripture is, yes, we can have confidence in our salvation, hope of heaven, confidence in God, you know, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And yet there's also scriptures that have to be reconciled with what I just mentioned that talk about the, you know, the need for repentance, that we need to confess our sins, that even in First uh, John, if after having become a Christian, we say, we have no sin, we are a liar, <laughs> which is a bad position to be in. It definitely is. All right, I guess you get the next one. From Rush, yeah. Yeah, so this kind of goes back to people in positions of authority. Okay, so Rush writes in, when a preacher sins and confesses that sin to the church, how does the church handle this? Should they demand his resignation, or should the brother be forgiven, restored, and allowed to remain as a minister? Please include Bible authority. Yeah, I appreciate Rush's request to include Bible authority because it really is about what the Bible says. And and as you touched on earlier, Jeff, this is very related to what you talked about as far as the element of judgment. But, you know, the first part, the preacher sins and confesses, then he must be forgiven. So that one's, you know, pretty straightforward. But once the brother is forgiven, should he be allowed to remain as minister? And this is where that judgment element comes in. So, you know, depending on the type of sin he committed, Jeff, you had mentioned, you know, if you're you commit some sin against a child, should you be allowed to teach? Well, most elders would probably say, no, just judgment says, let's not put you in a position that was previously tempting to you. It could be a matter of trust or just a matter of caution for those children. Uh, same with a minister. You know, if, if let's say the minister sinned by teaching false doctrine and the elders were concerned that he might continue to teach false doctrine, they certainly would have every right. And this goes back to the point you made, Jeff, about consequences. That doesn't mean he's not forgiven, and it also doesn't mean that the elders are wrong by not allowing him to continue to preach. It's a judgment call, and every circumstance in that sense can be a matter of judgment, right, or or unique to that particular situation. So that's really what it boils down to, and elders sometimes, Jeff, have a kind of a thankless job, but as part of being stewards of, you know, what God has entrusted them with, they have to make these judgments that they feel is consistent with God's Word and best for the congregation. Right. Well, and especially, as we mentioned before, people in positions of trust, that certainly they are in a position where they are exerting influence, or they should be exerting influence. People should have confidence in the the preacher or minister, in the elders, etc. And that, you know, through that trust, through that confidence, you know, they're more receptive to what's being taught or the, the things that the, the elders, uh, you know, the direction they want to take the congregation, et cetera. And that when that trust is violated, you don't get it back instantly. Right? The other thing that I'll just kind of throw out there for consideration is if, you know, if you do have a person in a leadership position who does sin, who does repent, and then they want to turn around and demand that they remain in their position, you know, something's not quite right with that either. So, you know, several different facets to be uh, considered, some of which do indeed require wisdom and, and judgment, and maybe a time to heal, a time to rebuild the sense of trust and confidence that we have in various leaders. Yeah, I like that because you're right. I mean, it could be, hey, you know, we want you to show over a period of time that you're trustworthy again, so on and so forth. Okay, Jeff. So Russell asks, when I say my prayers, I ask for forgiveness of my sins, but I know that some of the sins will be repeated often 
will I go to heaven? So this also is similar to previous question, isn't it? Well, it is. And, and I think as either you or I pointed out, and it might have been you, a lot of it comes down to attitude. Like when, and I say when, <laughs> when we sin, what's our attitude? Is it, ah, okay, fine, no big deal. You know, God forgive me. Or is it one of, oh, I'm so disappointed in myself. Okay, okay, pick myself up, dust myself off. Okay, get back in the race. Keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, keep repenting, etc. So in, in some ways, as we said, it comes down to attitude. In fact, uh, and I can't remember the verse. Uh, there's something, I think Jesus and Peter might have been talking about, you know, someone who sins against you. And I think Peter might have been asking the question, you know, how often, how often should I forgive him? Seven times, maybe? And then I'll cut him off. And of course, Jesus, in the context, basically makes it unlimited in terms of, of forgiveness. You know, so long as the person is repenting. And of course, repentance as a concept is not just saying, oh, I'm sorry, I got caught. No, much more than that. You know, a hopefully a change of attitude, change of perspective, change of mind, and a continuing to change or try to change behavior as well. You know, keep keep on striving, keep on trying, even though some sins, as we've said, are more chronic or persistent or people have a weakness. And as I've kind of mentioned before, you know, certainly sins of addiction, you know, whether it's alcohol, drugs, pornography, pedophilia, I mean, you, know, you name it can be very challenging you know once those doors have been open to get that door closed so to speak Ryan? yeah and to that point you know because it is difficult at times to shed some of these doors we've opened like you mentioned like for instance anger you know drugs whatever it can result in a congregation or members of a congregation sort of doubting whether or not the person repenting is genuine. So they might say, well, you know, this is like the third time this month they've come forward. Are, are they really repenting? The Bible doesn't give us that luxury, right? In fact, it's just not appropriate to start judging people. God didn't appoint us judges. Yeah, Matthew 7 does talk about by their fruits, they, you will know them, right? So whether it's a false teacher or a drunkard, yeah, there's certain conclusions and judgments we can make based on behavior. But when it comes to repentance, unless the person's just telling you, oh, I'm just kind of going through the motions, we don't have a right to question whether or not it's genuine. We leave that in God's hands. And so that's important, Jeff, because, you know, I was thinking about the church at Corinth. You know, he had this man who was with his father's wife, you know, something that was just horrendous, and yet they were allowing him to continue to worship like everything was fine. Well, Paul said, you need to put him out of the church unless he repents. And well, that man did repent. And so in 2 Corinthians, Paul talked about accepting him and showing their love for him, lest he become discouraged, right? Because if you are doubting somebody and you're questioning whether or not they're truly repenting, well, not only is that not appropriate, but it can be very discouraging and actually drive them away. So we want to be careful about those kinds of things. True, very true. Okay, one more question from Larry. Larry asks, how was Jesus able to forgive sins during his earthly ministry, such as the paralytic let down through the roof and the woman who washed his feet before he went to the cross as the sacrifice in payment for those sins? Interesting question. And, you know, I, I might add, some people ask a very similar question about you know, how people in the Old Testament 
have their sins forgiven before Jesus died on the cross. Yeah, and I think some of that can come from the fact that, you know, Jesus was a man. We know that he was born of a virgin, that he was at all points tempted as we are, that he basically lived as a man for the 30 plus years, right, that he was on this earth. And so therefore, how could a man forgive sins? And I think what people might forget is that Jesus was also deity. And so, you know, when it comes to whether or not he was able to forgive sins before he went to the cross, you know, the ability for Jesus to forgive was definitely not dependent on him going to the cross. He was able to forgive while he was here on earth. And so, if you, you know, in the account he mentions uh, that can be found over in Luke chapter 5, verses 18 through 26, when he did heal the paralytic man, notice what Jesus said in verse 24 uh, when he was explaining why he told the man his sins were forgiven. Jesus says, But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. So that certainly makes it clear that Jesus had that power. In fact, you might remember when he was hanging on the cross and you had the two thieves and you had one that was repentant, the other one was not. The one who was repentant, Jesus said, you know, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus had the ability to say that because he knew the man's heart. He could forgive his sins. And certainly, even though that man that was hanging on the cross was still under the old law, well, so was Jesus until he died on the cross, but yet he says he had the ability to forgive sins. So overall, though, we know that when Jesus did die on the cross, he made it possible for all of us to have our sins forgiven as we've touched on it for baptized, Acts 2.38 and Acts 22.16. And so certainly one thing that we want to be conscious of and thankful for, that we can stand pure before God if we confess our sins, because those sins have been promised to be forgiven if we are truly repentant. Jeff? Yeah, good points. And I might add, since I kind of teed up an additional question about uh, Old Testament salvation. Let me just kind of mention briefly. Some people wonder, well, you know, if you have to accept Jesus as your Savior, how could the Jews have been saved, right, in the Old Testament? And basically, if you boil it down both under the Old Testament law, law of Moses, under the New Testament, law of Christ, basically forgiveness is offered to people who comply with God's requirements in order to be forgiven. Of course, under the law of Moses, you know, part of that involved animal sacrifices, etc. But people could still be saved under the law of Moses long before Jesus died on the cross. And I think the clue to that is if you read Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 15, and likewise the next chapter, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 18, there's something, I don't know quite how to express it, going on behind the scenes that not only was Jesus' death sacrifice on the cross sufficient to give God the right to be a righteous, just, and merciful judge for Christians in the future, but also enabled him to be the same for righteous people in the past. That somehow, and it sounds a little weird, that, that Jesus' blood not only travels forward, but also travels backward to, you know, enable God to justly and mercifully forgive sins committed, regardless of the dispensation or regardless of the, of the law system, you know, so long as people were complying with what he required of them in that time period. So hopefully that doesn't uh, confuse the issue as well. 
uh, Brian, the other, do you have any comments on that before I make another small comment? Yeah, just one. And that is to your point, you know, Hebrews chapter nine, verse 15 says, and for this reason, he speaking of Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the internal inheritance. So that promise, that redemption applies to all men, as you said, backwards and from here on out. <laughs> so <laughs> Exactly. The other small thing I'll just mention, and I know we're focusing today mainly on forgiveness and mainly on repentance that enables that forgiveness. But uh, some people want to point to Jesus forgiving sins during his ministry, particularly the thief on the cross, which you mentioned, as justification for us today being forgiven of our sins, independent of baptism. And, you know, the, the classic argument says, well, you know, the thief on the cross was forgiven by Jesus, you know, promised to be taken to paradise. He was not baptized. So therefore, we don't need to be baptized today. And of course, as you indicated, you know, Jesus, while on the earth as deity, as the sinned against person, certainly had the ability to read people's minds and read their attitudes and be willing to extend that forgiveness, like with the thief on the cross. But that in no way invalidates the scriptures that talk about baptism as being one of several things required for us today. To be forgiven of our sins, you know, Acts 2.38, Acts 22.16, etc. Yeah, very good thoughts. And, you know, as we wrap up this podcast, one thing, Jeff, that kind of stands out to me as just a couple of quick key points from all of these questions that were asked. So the first being, you know, the forgive and forget. As we pointed out, no doubt, if somebody were to, let's say, murder a family member, something horrible like that, well, you love that person. You're not going to just forget about who they were or what happened. But if the person repents, then you should be able to have some measure of peace knowing that A, they took accountability for their sin, B, they you know, asked for forgiveness. But because you forgive them, that allows you to say, you know what, I put this in God's hands. Maybe they didn't really mean it or didn't truly repent. You, we can't make that judgment. We put that in God's hands. But that should give us a measure of peace. and. Because we may struggle with not holding a grudge, Jeff, like you said earlier against them, it can be difficult to do. And then the second thing is, you know, kind of one of those overarching points is there are many erroneous beliefs out there about forgiveness. As you pointed out, Jeff, once saved, always saved. Please look at what the scriptures say and reject anything where somebody tells you differently because it's all too easy to say well, because of God's grace, yeah, I'm going to be saved and, and those kinds of things. When the Bible clearly teaches separately, God just wants you to genuinely acknowledge your sin, have the attitude that I'm going to do everything I can to not sin again, and I am willing to forgive those who sin against me, and then let God handle it from there on the day of judgment. I like that. Uh, I like that a lot. Well, and you know, since you mentioned uh, murder, you know, that can be kind of a tough one, certainly in terms, even if the person repents you know, of, of forgiving, not carrying a grudge. But as we indicated before, sometimes there's negative consequences. And sometimes when you sin, you have to quote unquote, pay the price, even though you have repented, you know, taking someone else's life, you know, certainly Romans chapter 12 would say, not seek revenge on our enemies. But Romans chapter 13 talks about the state, the government, etc. you know, taking care of evildoers, to include wielding the sword. 
which you know speaks to capital punishment. And so, yeah, sometimes even though you may be forgiven, there there may be, as we've said, uh, you know, negative consequences or a price to pay or a debt to society that, that needs to be paid as well. Brian, any other comments before we point people to our website? Enough. Let's look at some additional resources for those that would like to study this a little bit more. So if you go to our website at biblequestions.org, look under the topics menu item, which if you're on a browser will be near the top of the page. If you're on a mobile app, it'll be underneath, I think it's like three horizontal lines in the upper left corner. Either way, under the topics menu item, letter F for forgiveness, R for repentance, T for temptations, you know, for those who periodically relapse back into sin. C for confession. And finally, we have a, uh, an entire page that's dedicated under the, again, topics menu item called Steps to Salvation, which includes a lot of things related to forgiveness, not only initial forgiveness in terms of becoming saved, uh, becoming a Christian, becoming a child of God, etc., but as well as once you are a child of God, once you are a Christian, remaining saved, remaining forgiven through ongoing you know, repentance and confession, etc. So lots of good references at our website, lots of good scripture references. That, as always, we would encourage our listeners to dig into and apply to their lives. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website, biblequestions.org, where you can submit a Bible question to be answered. And you can also search archives where we have answered several hundred Bible questions over the years. Our website also has a host of free Bible study material, free correspondence courses, as well as sermons and a host of other material. Please stop by and check it out.